Please take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Isaiah, if you would there, and also we'll be going from there to the book of Romans, chapter number 3. So if you'll find those two places in your Bible, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, Isaiah chapter number 1, we'll be looking at some verses there, and then some also in the book of Romans, Isaiah chapter number 1. I think that as a church, we all are in agreement that man is a very, very sinful creature. And that sin is our and his biggest problem. And thus it is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Our hearts and minds are the root of our sin nature, and thus needs redeeming, reconciling to God, regenerating by the Holy Spirit. My mind needs to be renewed by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And the rest of our body, or the anatomy, which brings forth the fruit of sin, is very manifest. In our society. I will say this morning that we are wonderfully, fearfully, majestically made in the image of God. And everything that God did for us in the forming of our bodies was for His glory and for our good. But sin has taken that which is good and marred it and scarred it and uses it for evil. However, it is with our choice And our cooperation with sin and disobedience that brings that chaos and that judgment. I want to preach to you on the anatomy of sin. And when I say the anatomy of sin, I'm talking about our bodies. Our human bodies. And how it is an anatomy of sin. And how sinful our bodies truly are. Now my preaching and teaching aims at the heart. And the mind and the root of the problem. I believe that that's where you solve so many issues. But if you're always just dealing with on the outer edge things. You never really just. It just keeps reappearing somewhere else. And you have to deal with the root of the problem. However you cannot ignore the fruit. So that you realize it's coming from somewhere. You got to recognize that fruit that's out there and what kind of fruit that it is. Jesus said that you know a tree uh, by its fruit. We do not go around examining the root of a tree. We see the fruit of the tree, which reveals to us a root and what kind of tree that it is. So when you look in Isaiah chapter number 1, I want you to see here that I cannot ignore the, the rest of the anatomy of sin. And so I want to deal with the human body, and how in different ways, different parts of the body are so sinful. I want you to notice with me in Isaiah 1, verse number 1. This is where Isaiah is dealing with the Hebrew, or the nation of Israel. And this is not a very pretty picture. And I want you to listen carefully and and soberly. It says in verse 1, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, when which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. 
Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. So this is God's opinion, His judgment, His analysis. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger, and they are gone away backward. Why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. Now look at this. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart is faint. Now that's the root. The heart and the head, the heart and the mind, there's the root. Verse 6, he says, From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it. From the tip of our heads to the bottom of our feet, he says, you are wicked. And he says in verse number 6, he describes then this, and this is, this is a nasty looking image. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Well, that's a pretty ugly picture for God to look down at Israel, the Hebrew, and say, here's the way I see you. <laughs> Man, your heart, your mind is wicked, and, and it shows out in your body from the, from the top of your head to the sole of your foot. You're just like one Big, open, putrefying, running sore to me. Well, I tell you what, that's not very positive, is it? To say on a Sunday morning. Turn with me to Romans chapter number 3. Look over there with me, please. And notice what he says here. Now, that's what he said to the Hebrew and to the nation of Israel in their backslidden condition before God. And when you get to the book of Romans, he is speaking here now. Notice what he says now about the condition and his analysis of not only the Hebrew, but also the heathen or the Gentile. The Hebrew and the Gentile. He says, this is my analysis of you. And so in Romans 3, you'll notice in verse number 9, he says, what then? He's talking to the Hebrew. Are we better than they? No. In other words, the Hebrew could say, yeah, we're bad, but Lord, I mean, you know, look at the... Look, you know how we are, and look at the, at the heathen. He says, No one no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. In case somebody raised their hand and said, But, he says, No. Not one. Not Jew or Gentile. Verse 11. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. And there is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongue they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things so... Ever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth 
may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now you'll notice that he puts the Hebrew and the heathen alike here. And what I want you to notice here is the part of man's anatomy that is spoken of in both of these verses and these passages. And I'm going to deal with one of those parts of your body this morning. You'll notice in verse number 13, he said their throat is an open sepulcher. And he says with their tongues. And he said the poison of asp is under their lips. And he said in verse 14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. David said they have sharpened their tongues like serpents, like a serpent's adder. Poison is under their lips. And Isaiah said this when the Lord revealed himself to him in chapter number 6. You know what he said to God? When he saw the Lord, he said, woe is me. And then he said, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. Now of all the parts that he could have chosen, he said, I am a man of unclean lips. And he said, not only that, Lord, he said, but I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips lips. So I ask you this morning, how revealing is your mouth, your tongue, your lips, and your words about your spiritual condition today? How revealing is the tongue? Before all the modern technology came in to be able to take x-rays and things of that nature and MRIs, etc., etc., Do you realize that most doctors, and some of them still do, when you walk into their office and they start checking you out for the first time, they used to always say, would you stick out your tongue? Because much is revealed about your health through your tongue. If you have a pink tongue, well, that's healthy and normal. If you have a red tongue, it indicates fever or maybe a hormonal imbalance. If you have a purple and reddish tongue, There's probably inflammation or infection in your body. If you have a pale and pink tongue, there's a vitamin deficiency. If you have a green tongue, you've probably been eating some lime-flavored popsicles. (laughs) But it reveals some things about you. Amen? Not only does it reveal some things about your health, but it reveals things about your heart. Your heart. You know what Jesus said as he was speaking to a religious group of people that were just so full of hypocrisy? He said to them, he said, oh, generation of vipers. Now, he didn't learn the power of positive speech. If he saw a viper, he called it a viper. He said, oh, generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You agree if you bump into a, a vessel, whatever is in it, it's probably going to come out of it? He said, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and evil out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth evil things. 
But he said, this is a scary verse. He said, but I say unto you that every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Boy, that's a, that's a frightening statement. And he says, for by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Why is that? It's because the tongue is revealing what's in the heart and the condition of the heart. Someone said that the tongue is a tattletale that tells on the heart of man. So under the anatomy of sin, what does the tongue truly reveal about everyone in this room? I need you to turn to James chapter 1 with me for just a moment, if you would please. James chapter number 1. First of all, here's what it will tell you. And, I, and, and I'm, this is true for all of us in here. Number one, it tells me and, and, and about me the type of religion that we have. Now you say, well, brother, there's, brother Roger, there's 500 different denominations. I did not ask you about your denomination. I'm talking about your religion. There are only two kinds of religion. Did you know that? Only two. There is what is called in the Bible pure religion. And then there is the Bible refers to as vain religion. And did you know that your tongue will tell us which one you have? Your tongue. If we hang around you very much and you're not pretending and we really get to hear the real you, then we will be able to determine which one of these religions is yours. Look in James chapter number 1, please, with me, in uh, verse um, number 26 and verse number 27. The Bible says in verse number 26, he says, If a man among you seem to be religious, and it looks to me like most of you in this room are, you wouldn't be here unless you were brought here by force. Verse 26, If any among you seem to be religious, and you seem to be, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is what? Vain. That means empty. That means foolish. It means useless. It means of no value and no good. Why is that? It's because there is a lack of fear of God in his heart. And there is a lack of love for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Because in verse number 27, it tells us in verse 26 that if he's a if he's a child of God, the first thing that God touched when he touched his heart, it affected his tongue. And verse 27, it also put a burden upon his heart for others, not himself, others. Verse number 27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God is to, is to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and keep himself unspotted from the world. So what you see about that guy with pure religion is God's put a bridle on his tongue and he's put a burden on his heart for other people, and it's not about him anymore. And it's put a brightness about his life that he doesn't want to be defiled by the world anymore. He has become a bulb in a dark place. Do you understand the simplicity of that? That's what God does for a man who's been born again. But let's talk about the tongue. We talk about here about the problem 
of vain religion. There, there are three major things that show up in the heart of a man who has vain religion. I'm sure there's more, but we don't have time for all of them. But I'll give you three major symptoms of a heart that is unregenerate and that is vain in its religion, whether he's a Baptist, a Methodist, a Presbyterian, Episcopalian, or whatever he may choose to be, non-denominational, whatever. His tongue is going to reveal so much about his heart. Because his heart, if he's not saved, he's really going to have a real struggle in his heart with pride. And even even saved people struggle with pride. But you know what David said about the proud heart? He said that with our tongue will we prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Well, I want to say to you, I know who's Lord over me. And I confess with my tongue that Jesus Christ is my Lord. But what that verse means is, is that basically you've got the attitude that, look, I believe in freedom of speech. I'll say what I want to, when I want to, how I want to, and you're not going to tell me what to do. Now, it's one thing as an American to understand your right to be able to speak and thank God for it. At least we used to have the freedom of speech in our country. But Paul said that all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. And it may be, it may, you may have the freedom to say something, but it may not be proper for you to say that. And profitable for you to say that. And so when you say, you're not going to tell me what to do. Don't tell me to be quiet. Don't tell me to shut up. I'll do what I'll say what I want to, and it's none of your business. But I'm telling you, as a child of God, you don't have that attitude. You can't be right with God and run your mouth off without being condemned in your heart. You can't do that. God will touch that heart, and that, that tongue will, will, uh, will affect your spirit. And there are three things that stand out here from this, these lips of vain religion. Number one is these people slander other people. Slander. You understand the word slander? Have you ever been slandered? You'll understand that word. The Bible says, he that uttereth a slander is a fool. That means the utterance of falsehoods or misrepresentations which defame and damage another person's reputation or their influence. It usually results in broken friendships and divided families and fractured churches. And loss of business for a man. By the way, this is not only immoral, it is illegal. You can be sued for slander and libel. Did you know that to be a slanderer is to be satanic in nature? He is the accuser of the brethren. Did you know when Paul was writing to Timothy and to Titus, he said the aged women... We're not to be slanderers. That's the only group he addresses about it. He said, aged women, not to be slanderers. And to teach the younger women in the book of Titus, a deacon's wife was not to be an accuser of the brethren. Sometimes people actually slander the Lord. About some of the things they say. 
over the Malachi, he said, your words have been stout against me. He said, you have said, and they said, what have we done? What have we said, Lord? That's, he said, I'll tell you what you said. You have said that it's vain to serve God. So in your private conversations and you start running off your mouth and you say, man, it's a waste of time to go to church. It's a waste of time to read your Bible. It's a waste of time to give your money. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. It's a waste of money. What you're saying is that, is that it is unprofitable to serve God, that it's vain to serve God, and you are slandering God when you say those things, as if God is unfaithful. And unrighteous. Did you know the Lord says that he is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love? He's not. But, you know, not only do they slander people, but they seduce people with their mouth. What does that mean? Now, when you think about the word seduce, you immediately lean toward that which is sexually and morally unclean and and not right. And that's true. But there's far more to it than that. But in that realm, the Bible says that the ungodly woman or the sensual woman with her much fair speech, she causes him to yield with the flattering of her lips she forced him. The Bible says the lips of a strange woman drop as honeycomb and her mouth is smoother than oil. And a man can be easily seduced by the words of a woman and vice versa. And that is, a seduct, that is a seducing spirit. But can I say the word seduce means to draw or to lure or to entice from the path of right and truth. Now it can be morally, but many times it is also done scripturally and spiritually and doctrinally. By the words and the lips and the tongues of men. And which they really do not take the word of God seriously. And they introduce their liberalism and their modernism. And they twist and change the word of God to cause lightness upon the heart and mind of another generation concerning God didn't really mean that. Just like in the garden when Eve was seduced. It was through the words, the subtle words of the serpent to put into her ear. To, and, and listen, words are powerful things. They promote ideologies. And thoughts and imaginations. And yes, they're powerful things. And if you read a book, and I hope that you do, read books. Read Always read books with a guarded mind. Take a pen and pencil and mark through that which is, that's not true. That's good. That's not so. That's a lie. I've got several books I've written on them, Poison. In case somebody goes through my books and they pick it up and they start reading, I want them to know there's poison in this book. But when you do this, Paul made it very clear, very clear, that the church is in great danger of people who seduce you away from the truth. Here's what he said, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. Here's what they do. He says, For they are such, he said, For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. That means their desires, their lust, and their self-will. And he said, by good words and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple. 
Paul said in the book of Colossians, he said, This I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. And then he said in verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you. He said in verse 18, Let no man beguile you. These are seducers. Ephesians 5 says, Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. If anybody moves you away from your focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't care how smooth he is. He is seducing you. If he causes you to question your King James Bible, because what he's going to do is he's going to pick apart the King James Bible, but he will not put another book in your hand and say, every word in this book is right. And so he breaks down your confidence in every word. Jesus said every word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. And so it is, these people seduce you. This church would be much larger if people did not listen to the words of other men and other women. Not just this church, but other good Bible-believing churches. The adversary is not interested in messing with the Roman Catholic Church. He's not interested in the Kingdom Hall. He is not interested in the Mormon Temple. He is interested in dividing the Bible-believing church. And he's pretty good at it. If you go through Texas... East Texas especially, and you go through Mississippi especially, northeast Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia, you will find that there was a church there that did good for a while, and then it split. Somebody picked up a rock, threw it down the road, started another church, and called it Friendship Baptist Church. Then after a while, it split, and they threw another rock down the road, and then it's called Unity Baptist Church. All of these things. But you'll notice in the, in the New Testament, most of the time, it mentions the church at Ephesus. The church at Thyatira. The church at Corinth. So they didn't run. Nobody, but, but, but what happens is, is that men, being, being seducers, they are men who are in love with their own voice. And they are in love with their own selves. And they, many of them are heretics, which means they, they have enough truth, but that truth is out of balance, and they're hammering on one particular thing, and they will draw you after them. They don't care what damage they do to the flock of God. They feel like that they have justified themselves in standing upon one particular item of truth and call everybody else a compromiser, etc., if they do not believe it exactly the way they do. You understand the seriousness of this, church. I'm, I, I pray that you understand this. I've got a here's something I came across. I thought was good. It said, "Believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else. Feel as I feel, think only as I think, eat what I eat and drink what I drink. Look as I look, do always as I do, and then and only will I fellowship with you." And that's what happens. When somebody goes to seed on something and it's going to leak out of their mouth 
And it's not going to be about your relationship with Christ and your walk in the Spirit and your obedience to the Bible. And Paul made it very clear. He said, when they take you away from the preeminence of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, they introduce to that church Judaism, trying to get them back into legalism. They introduce to them mysticism and the angelic world, asceticism. He said, all these things are going to get your focus off of Christ and your need for the Holy Spirit. Man, I see so many religious videos of people talking about the move and the power of God and, and, and about the baptism of the Holy Ghost and them acting like fools and idiots and jumping around like somebody has uh, zapped them uh, with a taser and call it the power of God and the Holy Ghost. Now listen to me. I believe what James McConkie said about the threefold secret of the Holy Spirit. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit came to live within your heart. According to Galatians 4, God sent him to live in your heart. Yeah, but Brother Roger, you just got part of him. You didn't get all of him. The Bible says that in Christ Jesus, I am complete in him. I am complete in him. You understand that? Complete in him. And I promise you, this is, and this, is, this is so true right here. He said, for our deceitful nature in our hearts is too quick to take refuge in prayer and waiting to receive and thus dodge the real issue, which is an absolute surrender to him who has already been received. So subtle is the flesh that it is glad by waiting, petition to throw on God the burden of giving, if thereby it can evade the real issue which God has put upon us of yielding wholly to him who has already been given. And to believe what has already been written. What's well, a powerful statement. People who have vain religion are very seductive. They flatter you. The Bible says a flattering mouth worketh ruin. Don't believe everything someone says about you, good or bad. If somebody is really, really, really working you up about how good you are and how pretty you are and how handsome you are and how smart you are, you need to be looking around for a net somewhere that's being camouflaged. You know, like walking through the woods and somebody's got it covered up with leaves and there's a rope up there in the tree and when you step in it, it's going to pull you up. But when you start hearing some of those words, you say, well, Brother Roger, you shouldn't be so cynical. I don't believe that I'm cynical. I'm just, I think I have a little wisdom. In that, obviously, they don't really know me. Amen? Amen? But the more that they talk about me and how good I am and how sweet I am, how handsome I am, how smart I am, then I just get a little bit closer to that trap because they're up to something. Used car salesmen are pretty good at this because they want something. And if somebody's really, really, really doing that to you, they're probably wanting something from you. Amen? Amen. And so, but that, don't, that doesn't mean you shouldn't stop encouraging people. Just be honest with them and let them know that you're being honest with them. My wife says she appreciates my honesty because when she puts on a dress and she says, Honey, how does this look? And I say, Honey, that doesn't look well. You say, Well, that hurts your feelings. Well, I'll tell you what. When she puts on the right dress, I say, Honey, that looks great. She says, You know what? He means that. And when she gets her hair done or gets it fixed, she says, What do you think about this? And I really don't want to say anything. 
That's a no-win situation. But if I hesitate, all I got to do is hesitate. And she's already got the message. And so, you know what? She works on it. And she says, you're honest with me, and I appreciate it. So that way, when the statement, I've told her, I said, honey, now you know I'm honest with you, so when I tell you the truth and I praise you and I say something good about you and I say something right about you, I said, believe that too. Amen? So the man that criticizes you, you know, who also praises you, he's being honest with you on both accounts, usually. Amen. The preacher that thinks that he hits a home run every time, he gets up to preach. You know what he's doing? He's playing that, uh, that we game that they used to have that they put on TV. You know, you're just playing. That's what you're doing. Because you're, you're not going to reset and you don't get another swing. There are just times that we swing and miss. But you know what? What you want is a pastor that gets up and keeps swinging. And that's what you want. When we're talking about flattery, we're talking about the danger of the mouth. But the other one is, is that they sow discord. Vain religion, vain hearts sow discord. Did you know one of the seven things that God hates? Is those who sow discord among the brethren. Now, it doesn't matter how many times a preacher preaches on this. The, the person with vain religion is still going to do it. So it's up to you to do something about it. They sow discord. The Bible says a false witness that speaketh lies. God hates that. And he that soweth discord among brethren. Now, there are various words in the Bible that identify this character. A talebearer. You know, the Bible says, Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. This makes it, you know, social media makes it so easy to do that. Because you can hide behind your device and let your tongue and your fingers do the talking. Backbiting, gossip. Brother Robert Patton, who posted something on social media that was really good, he said, remember me in your prayers like you do in your gossip. A talebearer repeats things that sometimes you're told in confidence. And he revealeth secrets. And separateth chief friends. Breaks people apart. With their surmising and their insinuations. The Bible says again. I'm just using the word of God. Younger women. Who have too much time on their hands. The Bible says they learn to be idle. Wandering about from house to house. Not only idle. But the Bible says tattlers. Idle talkers. Babblers, also busybodies, one who meddles and pries into other people's business, speaking things they ought not. And again, your phone makes that so much easier, doesn't it? Your tablet, your computer, your devices. And what happens is what you do is you cause distrust among the brethren. And you threaten the unity of your church that you say that you love. 
And you hurt the families who want to serve. And you say, well, I didn't mean to. But you did. A man said one time, I became enamored with honesty from other people insomuch that I realized that I found that my tongue was of very little use to me. You missed that, didn't you? He became enamored by the honesty of others, but when it came to him being honest, his tongue was of very little use to him. This religion is vain. If the heart's never been touched, the mouth, the lips, and the tongue are going to reveal this in your heart. Do you sow discord? Do you have to talk? Are you a tattler? Are you a talebearer? Must you say everything that you know about someone? And sometimes you only know part of what's going on. But yet you, you feel like you have to surmise and say it as if it's factual. I promise you as a pastor, I, I promise you as a pastor of this church for 28 years, I have not been able to draw people back in who have been hurt by the mouths of other people in this congregation. I'm not saying you. I'm talking about over the years of people that have come and gone. Of things that didn't have to be said. Of things that didn't have to be discussed. And by the way, remember this. Just because one person says something in this congregation about you doesn't mean the rest of this congregation believes that about you. And especially a young person. When they're already struggling and looking at the world and they hear somebody, well, they said this about me. You don't know all the context, all the things that were said, but it matters to that young person. They're already looking for an excuse to run. But I promise you as a young person, Not everybody is talking about you and everybody's not thinking about you. They've got their own burdens and their own problems, their own situations. And I promise you the majority of the church is not talking about you and they're not saying those things about you, whether you're a young person or an adult. I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but I got more important things to talk about than what's going on in your life sometimes. And I'm simply saying that something else. The Bible says, pay no attention to every word that is spoken. Lest you even hear your servant curse you. And he said, and you also remember that you yourself, at times in secret, have said things that you should not have said. So before you hold everybody to such a high standard, how about you holding yourself to that standard in that situation with your tongue? Because sometimes we wind up reaping that which we have sown in that realm. I do not want to be guilty of sowing discord, of slandering you, or of seducing you. I don't want to have vain religion. I want to be in fellowship with God. I need to hurry real fast right here. Would you look in chapter number 3 real quick and look at verse 1 and 2? Did you know not only does it measure your true, the religion of whether it's true or vain? And if you can't quit cussing, and you can't quit causing trouble with your mouth, 
and all you do is cause conflict and division and strife with your tongue, and you can't say anything good about anybody, I think you need to be born again, to be honest with you. Because the Bible says that God will shed abroad in your heart the love of God. It's a supernatural thing. It's a restraint that God gives. Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it says it measures the level of your maturity. Paul said that when you were a child, you spake as a child. There's some things you expect a child to do, but not you. Look in chapter 3, verse 1. My brethren, be not many masters, talking about leaders and teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is what kind of man? A perfect man, a mature man, a complete man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Wow. That's amazing. It measures your maturity. You have to study to be quiet. You have to study. You have to to study to be quiet. Lord, how can I become a quieter person? If you desire to stay in fellowship with God and be fruitful, you have to trust God and take Him seriously that He wants you to talk less. And that when you do talk, make sure it's a blessing and a benefit and truth and righteous in that which you say. You'll notice that the mature man understands this because in verse 3 and 4, he understands that the tongue has power to direct things. Now, this is very important for you to hear this. Verse 3 says... Uh, in chapter 3, and verse 3, he says, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about the whole body. Behold also the ships which, though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small ham, whithersoever the governor listeth. And he says to you that you understand your tongue has the power, listen to this, to change the course of things. Now, you think about that. Now, you can go to the good or you can go to the bad. You have the power to do that. How about if you, if God, the mature man takes a conversation and a discussion that's going in the wrong direction and he takes it and he puts it back on course? The mature Christian does. In a multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. When you talk too much, you type too much, you text too much, you're going to say something you ought not say. That's why sin has exploded exponentially in this world because the ability of man to communicate. And God stopped it at the Tower of Babel. Man has brought it back. Now every thought, imagination, and idea can be put out there to everybody just like that. What seems like no accountability. But a a mature Christian understands that he has the power to take a conversation that's going the wrong direction and says, whoa, wait a minute. Let's pull this horse back this way. Or he sees that ship going off in the wrong direction. He says, whoa, hold a minute. Let's turn this thing back around this way. Let's get this conversation right back on track. Because it doesn't take but one person in a conversation around the table to take that conversation going in the wrong direction. But it only also takes one person at that table to turn that conversation back in the right direction and you're sending the message to the other person, we're not going in that direction. We're not going that way. Now that's a mature Christian who understands that. 
And you'll notice quickly right there in that same passage where he talks about the power to direct that mature Christian understands that the tongue has the power to defile and destroy people's lives. You got a loaded gun inside that head of yours. We don't want men carrying in our, you know, that are watching over us for our safety team who are volatile, quick-tempered, and can't control their anger and themselves. Carrying a loaded gun. We want men that have some maturity about them, some stability about them, some sense about them. You agree? Well, what about what's inside your head? What about what's behind those teeth? The Bible says that right there has the power to destroy and to defile. Look what he says quickly. I need to hurry here. And he says, look what he says in verse number 4. Verse 5. Even so the tongue is a little member, boasts of great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. The tongue is a fire. A fire. He keeps saying a fire. Because an ungodly man diggeth up evil, the Bible says, and his lips, there's a burning fire. Burning lips and a wicked heart are like a potsherd covered with silver dross. If you don't know what a potsherd is, that's a, that's a chamber pot like. I grew up in Mississippi where everybody dipped snuff. And there's always a probably a, a Maxwell House coffee can sitting somewhere in the house with some paper towels down in it of some sort or some kind of rag or nothing. We didn't have paper towels back in those days. And man, it was just full of, well, you know, snuff. Liquid snuff. Nobody wanted to go by there and kick it over. And nobody, I never saw anybody pick it up and take a drink out of it. And back in the day, before, before even inward indoor plumbing, the chamber pot, same thing. He said, you know what? When you can't control your tongue and you're always hurting people and you, you talk about being a Christian and all you do is always hurt people, bite people, and cause trouble and start fires that somebody always has to put out. He said, you know, you look pretty on the outside, but inside, he said, you're not. You're an ugly person. And your tongue reveals you're an ugly person. And the Bible says right here that, that, you know, talking about that tongue, he says, a fire, a fire, a fire, a fire. He says, behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. You know how dry it is around here right now, don't you? Do you know how dangerous it is if, if, if something goes off and there you are living next to, the, to those uh, uh, woods where you are, Brother Lauren, if some nut out there were to start, he decides he's going to have a campfire one night. And, and, man, it gets out of control. It could burn everything in your whole area and burn everything around you down. And the guy says, oh, man, I'm sorry. Well, you, you should have known better. Do you know what some people think? They think saying, I'm sorry, fixes everything. And most of the time, it just assuages your conscience. But it fixes nothing. And look quickly. It says in verse 5, Even so the tongue is a little member, both of the great things. Behold how fire... Let's verse 6. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members. It defileth the whole body. Sets on fire the course of nature. And it's set on fire of hell. 
I have to control my lips and my words because my own words can get me stirred up. And if I keep letting it go, it just makes me matter. If I just keep saying what I'm thinking and what I'm thinking is not good, it's just going to make it worse. I'm going to become a flamethrower is what's going to happen. Scorched earth. A mature person understands that. That everything that we have tried to redo over in this building, everything we try to do inside the building, as far as our children are concerned, you could go up there and light a match to it and burn it down in no time. You're arson. You can do that with our children's ministry. You can do that with our young people. You can do that with our college students. You can do that with our adults. You can do that with my ministry. You can burn it to the ground. A mature Christian understands that. That a little conversation, a little bit of strife, a little bit of disagreement, a little bit too much of your opinion about something, and someone can start a blaze. Look in verse 9 real quick. The Bible says not only that, the mature Christian understands these things, the power to direct a conversation, the power to destroy things around him, but also the power to delight, develop, or discourage, and disappoint. Look in verse 9. The Bible says in verse 9, Therefore bless we God, even the Father, and therefore bless we men, which are made after the similitude of God, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? The answer obviously is no. Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? No. Either a vine figs? No. So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. It reveals what you are. Are you mature or are you immature? I would like for you to come to bump into me in a serious conversation and leave edified and encouraged. Or maybe even sometimes reproved and rebuked in order to set you right, to get on the right track. And the same with you. I, I appreciate a brother who's honest with me and says, Brother Rod, you ought to think about that. I appreciate that. What I'm saying is that a mature man says, Hey, look, I sure would like to be a fountain of, of fresh water around here. Would you? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you, if somebody were to, were to ask you a question or talk to you, would they taste salty water or would they taste fresh water? What do your children taste at home? Is it bitter water or sweet water? What kind of conversations do you have around the table? Especially if another teenager's name comes up or a kid's name comes up. Do you just bite and devour or do you change the conversation and do you help them to understand certain things about life? All right, I need to close this. Let's go to Psalm 39 real quick, and let's close and go to the house. All right, look in Psalm 39. Boy, I encourage you with those words, didn't I? Right there. Psalm 39. That's some of the most uh, delightful words a preacher can say. And in closing. However, around here, it's sort of like an airplane down at the bush. We're circling, waiting to land. 
waiting for the, that. But let me help you today, okay? I love you and I love this church. God did not call me to be a fireman to constantly put fires out. I have lost a lot of sleep and a lot of hair. No joke. Over what people have done to others with their tongues. How about you letting God take yours and use it to help us and to glorify God? God is merciful. When God spoke to Isaiah about how wicked they were, do you know that before that chapter was over, you know what God said to Isaiah to tell them? He said to them, even though you're nothing but an open, running, putrefying sore, You're sinful from the top of your head to the bottom of your foot. He says, come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God wants to clean you up and help you and deliver you. Look in Psalm 39. Here's your prayer. Look at this. David said, In verse 1, I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. Now, he is determined here. He is purposed. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. I was dumb with silence. I held my peace even from good, which that's not wise. And my sorrow was stirred. Now, watch this in verse 3. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. And one of the things that will help you to control your tongue is when you start musing on something and meditating on something and thinking upon something, you have to turn it loose. you got to let it go because the more you kick it around and the more you imagine this and that and that, the devil's going to come and accuse the brethren in your mind and you are just going to get hot inside and you're going to just be ready to blow up and you're convinced that you're right in what you say and you just got to vent and look what he said this was his prayer verse 4 he said Lord make me to know mine end he said God instead of me focusing on them please help me to focus on me right now He says, help me to know mine end and the measure of my days and what it is that I may know how frail that I am. Because thou hast made my days as a handbreadth. That's when you're measuring something. For example, if I'm measuring how tall this is, I'm going to use the width of my hand to measure how many hands this is. And he says, I need, to, I need to remember that my, my days are as a handbreadth and mine age is nothing before you. Verily, every man in his best state is altogether vanity. He said, God, I, instead of me being turning my eyes toward that person, he said, how about me helping me to turn it on me and help me to realize how frail and vain that I am, even in my best state, and my life is too short, and God help me, I pray, not to get so caught up in this that it's ruining my life. And then I'm going to ruin somebody else's life. Man, if you can get through um, the word gauntlet. You men understand that word gauntlet? Don't you? If you can get through the gauntlet of people's mouths, God can use you. If you can't, you have a hard time serving God. 
I have determined in my heart, and I've tried to teach this to my children, they've not successfully acquired this yet. And to my grandchildren, do not allow another person to determine what kind of person you are. Somebody is always running off at the mouth about something. Spurgeon said, for a man to be a good pastor, he's got to have one deaf ear and one blind eye. David said, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Man. Here's what I'm going to do with my tongue, because the purpose of why he gave it to me was to talk to him. To have communion with him. And to talk about him to others. Right, Brother Tucker? About him to others. Is that right, Brother Woodard? About him. You see, if you want to talk about somebody, God says, talk about me. You can't find fault with him. And then with my tongue, I am to praise him. To, 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 with, with my tongue, I am to pray to him. But the main thing here at East River, to all of our church members, use your tongue as they did in Acts when, when, the, when the widows were murmuring and there was some dissension going on in the assembly because they didn't like the way some things were being handled. There were some men that stepped up and you know what they did? They became part of the solution. And not part of the problem. So every time there's a little fire that you see and you smell the smoke, and you can go over there and you can pour a little gasoline on it, or you can stomp it out. You say, well, how am I going to stomp it out? Well, the Bible says a fool's mouth calling for strokes. I'm just joking about that. You can't get away with that. I'm saying every once in a while you need to grab somebody. You know, you know how... You remember the old Roadrunner cartoons? Anybody ever seen those old Roadrunner cartoons every once in a while? You know, every once in a while you just like to grab that coyote by the neck and just. But I'll tell you what will happen is the Bible says an angry countenance. You don't have to say anything. Just look. An angry countenance will drive away a backbiting tongue. The way you look at somebody when they're running their mouth will send the message, uh-oh, this is not a friend in the camp for my gossip. That's a fact. In other words, what you say is, I'm not going to participate in destroying somebody else's life because I don't know all the facts. And if I did, there's no need to be talking about them anyway. Amen. Can I hear your tongue say amen once in a while? Is that right? <laughs> amen. Let's stand together, please. The anatomy of sin. That's why Paul wrote and said, boy, poison is under their lips like an adder. Man, I don't want it to be under mine. If you want to fellowship with the Lord, you've got to watch what you say. But when we talk about sin, you say, Brother Roger, I've never been unfaithful to my husband or to my wife. And I have been at church every service. And I read my Bible on a regular basis. What I'm asking you is, what do you do with that tongue? Is it part of the solution or is it part of the problem? In your home, in your life, and in your church. Because it'll, it'll show up in both places. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, I pray in Jesus' name.
that your children would receive the word of God with a spirit of meekness, and that we would see in them not vain religion, but pure religion, and they would care about their brother and their sister, and they would think about the words that they speak and how many words they speak. And Lord, I pray that it might measure their maturity. They might see where they are and want to be a mature Christian. And Lord, that they would also desire to prove the sincerity of their heart by talking to you and asking you to help them to sin not with their tongue. And Lord, we love you and we need you. We pray you'd bring us back safely this evening in unity and harmony. And may our tongues, oh, for a thousand, a thousand tongues to sing the praise and glory of our great God. In Jesus' name, amen.